Hello, and welcome to show number 2308 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. It began in sunshine, not on a dark and stormy night. She wasn't prepared for what happened, wasn't on guard. Who would have expected trouble on a lovely Sunday afternoon like that? The sky was clear and blue. It was surprisingly warm for the end of February, even in Southern California. That was an excerpt from today's guest who happens to be an audiobook narrator who is reading from Dean Kuntz's Servants of Twilight. Boy, does she set the stage immediately with the way she reads that book. We'll be speaking with Hilary Huber, a voice actress who has narrated over 700 audiobooks about how audiobooks are made, the challenges faced by narrators, and what makes her job fun and rewarding. There's a lot more to it than you would expect. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Hilary Huber. Okay, my tip of the day is don't put all your stock in the Audible reviews. Do your own due diligence and check out reviews of that book or that narrator via other venues. Our industry rag is called Audiophile Magazine, and they put out reviews that are more professional in nature, and those we love and value a lot more than Audible. It is always a good idea to check out reviews for something you're considering purchasing or using from people who you trust to give you good advice. And what Hillary's saying is that you can go to some places and get professional input from qualified reviewers and from other places, maybe advice that is less useful. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Hillary and learning about how she got involved in narrating audiobooks. Oh, hi, I'm Hillary Huber, and I am an audiobook narrator uh, currently in Santa Monica, California. I gather you started out doing different kinds of voice work. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started in the commercial voiceover arena, and it was great. I loved it. Um, it was it was kind of the pinnacle of commercial voiceover, and we all had a really good time, and we all made a lot of money. That's changed considerably. Uh, the arena has changed, but at a, after a certain point, after about ten years of doing commercial work. And a little bit of animation, I kind of reached this point where I thought, wow, is this what I'm going to do with the rest of my life is 7-Eleven commercials? It doesn't seem to be really feeding my soul. And am I leaving anything beautiful behind on the earth? Not really. And I would see these older 
women come into my agency. We used to go to our talent agency every morning to audition. Um, I see these older women come in and I'd be sitting there with 10 pieces of copy to audition and they'd be handed one piece of copy because they were aging out of the demographic and they would have this desperation on their faces as they literally were seeing their careers evaporate. And it made such an impression on me. And I thought, I can't ride this gravy train forever. I need to pivot at some point. Uh, And so it was, there were two reasons. One, because I wanted to do something more creative. And two, I didn't want to see my career evaporate. So I turned my attention to audiobooks, figuring I can do that forever. As long as I can read and speak, I can do audiobooks. And um, slowly, the audiobooks have pretty much edged out the commercial voiceover work because I'm aging out of the demographic. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an inevitable thing. You think that there's no ageism necessarily in voice, but there is. I've always sounded kind of low and throaty. So it's not like my voice has changed that much, but it's just kind of your agent's perception of you and the style of the reads that changes. So I'm I'm glad I had that revelation. And here I am today doing 98% audiobooks and very few commercial voiceover. Those of us who love listening to audiobooks are very glad you made the switch. Thank you. Thank you very much. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is what is involved in narrating audiobooks. Well, Hillary, in the introduction, you talked a bit about aging out of your profession. And as radio podcast people ourselves, we realize how your voices change over the years. I listened to our shows from 10 years ago, and boy, we sound a lot different. Right. And I'm wondering what you do special to keep your voice in shape. It's got to be a strain to be reading for hours and hours a day. Yeah, you know, that's Probably the first question everybody asks when they find out I'm a narrator is, you have to read the book first? And this, the answer is yes, by the way. Uh, and the second question is, how do you deal with your voice? How do you, you know, you're talking for hours and hours. And interestingly enough, it's really your mind that goes wonky before your voice does, because we're not exerting our voices It's not like doing video games where you literally damage your vocal cords with all the screaming and the, um, you know, impact getting hit. Right, right. uh, Sounds that you have to make. But for the work that we do, we're real quiet. We don't talk much louder than this. And your vocal folds are essentially muscles. I don't think they're actually classified as muscles. But I find that on day three or four of recording a book, maybe day two or three, they're so warmed up and supple. As long as I take care of them in the off hours, I can't go to loud bars or restaurants and have to speak over people. Um, There are certain things that you know aren't good for you. Chugging a bunch of alcohol is going to dehydrate you. Um, Hydration is really important. I drink a ton of water 
all day, every day. Um, so it's really just common sense how not to scream. And a lot of people do vocal exercises and warm ups. And I do if I haven't worked in a while. But if I'm working, they're usually getting a good enough workout. In interviews that I've read about you, you've talked about how physically demanding reading can be sometimes stuck in your little sound booth in a little four by four container and it's getting hot and you have to worry about stuff like that. Can you talk about some of the physical demands that people might not be aware of? Yeah, it's everybody thinks, oh, God, that sounds amazing. I just get to read books. It is so physically and mentally exhausting. We've already mentioned how to take care of your throat. You need to think about what you eat and when you eat because your stomach makes noises. Um, It starts to grumble when you're hungry. Uh, It grumbles once you've eaten and starts to digest. You learn pretty quickly what foods you can and can't eat. For some reason, rice makes my stomach make the most bizarre noises. So there's a lot of physicality involved. Sitting, the new smoking, they say, right? We sit all day. Some narrators have started standing while they narrate, but uh, I can't, I can't do that. Um, Cause you got to kind of stay still, you know, you can't move around a lot. Right. No rustling that Michael easily picked that up. Yeah. You'll make noise. And then just the, the mental fatigue of maintaining the focus that it takes to really connect with the material that you're reading. I guess it's easy to zoo out if you're reading for hours and hours at a time. It's really easy to zoom out, particularly if you're not fascinated by the material. And I don't love every book I read, let's face it. And it's kind of like, do you ever notice you've been driving and maybe talking on the phone and you realize, oh my God, I have no recollection of the last five blocks I drove down. (laughs) I'm not going to admit to that. Yeah, no, I know, right? (laughs) Or watching TV and doing something else. You're like, what did I just, I don't even know what I just watched. So it's interesting how you can do two things at once. So my every now and then I catch my mind wandering and I realize I don't even know what I read over this last page. So it takes a lot of attention to really keep engaged. And then you talked about some of the physical aspects of just being confined in this closed booth for hours. Yeah. I'm lucky that my booth, I have a, it's in an office space that has pretty great um, air conditioning. But a lot of my colleagues have their booths in their garage or you know, in a room in their house, or it's a closet, and they can't run the air conditioning because it makes noise. And so they sit in there just sweating until they can take a break and run out and jump in a pool or put ice around their neck. Every summer, you'll see people's posting things about their ways to stay cool cold packs around their neck. They put their feet on blocks of ice. All these, uh, put put your bra in the freezer. Narrate in your bikini. (laughs) Most of those just sound so miserable. I know, I know. It's crazy what we do to tell a story. Uh, But yeah, you're locked in there. You got to remember to open the door every now and then and let some air in. Wow. You know, let a little fresh oxygen in. Over the years, how many books do you figure you've narrated? Uh, I have narrated over 700. It's a lot of books. You're not doing this just a couple hours here, a couple hours there. This is like a full-time job for you. This is a full-time job for me. Um, I've been full-time narrating 
for, I don't know, 10 years. So I go, I try to get into my studio at 10 and I stay till three or four. And, you know, I break for lunch. I let myself break for lunch and a couple other little tea breaks. But yeah, no, I got to work. And you talked about in some of your interviews how narrators are paid. You're generally paid by the finished hour, but there's a lot of prep hours. As you said, you had to read the books ahead of time to know who the characters are and how are you going to approach the novel. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So we are paid on the finished length of the book. So if you're being paid, for instance, $300 a finished hour and the book is 10 hours, you make $3,000. But you're right. You've got to take into account the time that it took to read the book, the time that it took to research the words in the book. Some books are, particularly in nonfiction, you're reading a book about uh, China and their obsession uh, with French wine, which is a book that I did. Can you imagine the Chinese and the French that had to be researched? So you know how to pronounce all those things. Considerable amount of time also. Right, right. And it doesn't take 10 hours to record a 10-hour audiobook. It takes usually 20 hours. If you're counting getting to the studio, your breaks, all the mistakes you make, stopping and starting, looking up another word that you missed. When I, you know, just threw a number out there, $300 an hour, we're not making $300 an hour. You need to factor in all that other time as well. So this is not just a solo effort. You're inside the booth reading the book. Presumably there's somebody else outside the booth spot checking or no? Not anymore. No. There are a couple production companies who who insist on providing a director or an engineer to work with you and catch when you make mistakes and run the uh, the software. But I would say 85% of what I do is just me. And that's a relatively newer development since home recording became accessible. Yeah, obviously in the old days, you couldn't record at home, but now with computers and software, we can. So uh, it means that we wear a lot of hats. We are the narrator, obviously. We're the director looking over our shoulder, making sure we're telling the story correctly. We're the engineer running the software, keeping our ears open for external noises And we're a little bit of the producer, just making sure the files are all named correctly and uploaded correctly. And then um, I send those files off to the production company and they have a QC person listen and track along with the text and catch any mistakes I've made. And believe me, there are always mistakes and usually a lot of them. And then an editor will take a little sample of the sentence where I made the error and they'll send that to me with a spreadsheet that said, you said this, you should have said that. You can listen to yourself so you can match it. And then I record all those and send them back and they edit them in and off it goes. You know, it's amazing. We listen to professional radio shows and podcasts and at the end they list the staff, and there's the engineer and the producer and everybody down to the intern. And we look at each other, we're like, well, that's the two of us. And as you described, 
it's mostly you too. That's right. It is. Do you wind up doing some of your own editing then if you make a mistake? Oh, oh, if I catch a mistake, yes. When I'm recording, I we all, it's pretty much industry standard now to use what's called punch and roll. And so if we make a make a mistake, we plop our cursor down, much like you do in a Word document, plop your cursor down right before where you made the mistake and you hit record and you'll hear a couple seconds of the previous sentence. So you can kind of match the energy and pop in with that sentence. Got it. So we yeah. do correct on the fly, but I don't do any editing after that. Obviously, I catch a lot of mistakes while I'm going, but there are always more. Can you talk a little bit about the the hardware in terms of the microphones and equipment that you use, the software you use for recording? Sure, sure. So I use Pro Tools, which is about a hundred times stronger than what any of us really need because, you know, that's designed for film scores and music where you need Mm multi-track and we're single track. So, but Pro Tools was the only DAW, they're called DAWs, um, digital audio. Workstations. Workstation, yeah. Pro Tools was the only DAW that had punch and roll when I first started home recording. Uh, now there are several more that offer that feature. So I, anyway, so I use Pro Tools. At some point, I, I might phase it out because it's complicated and it scares me and I need a helmet. Every time I get an error, I'm like going to hurt myself. That's the software. And then you have to have a interface that takes your analog signal from your microphone and turns it into a digital signal to go into the computer And I'm not incredibly tech savvy. You probably know more about this stuff than I do. (laughs) I get an engineer to come set it all up for me, make me a template, and I'm done. And anytime there's a mistake, I panic and text somebody. So basically, you can get away with a good microphone. And microphones don't have to be a Neumann or a Sennheiser. There are decent mics in the $250 range Mm -hmm. that take, so it's an analog signal that goes into your your interface, mine is called an Apollo uh, Duo. And that digitizes it to put it into your computer. I think, I don't know what you guys use, but I know a lot of podcasters can use a USB mic, but that's not encouraged for us. We need a stronger, clearer signal than that. Um, You know, USB mic, you skip the interface. It goes right into your computer. Right. We're not really allowed to have that. So between the computer, the interface and the microphone, I think you can get a decent setup for under $1,000. And obviously it can go zooming upwards from there, depending on how fancy you want your mic to be. So since you sort of asked, I'm not going to really answer the question of what equipment we use, but we've done a couple of episodes in the past, and we will have links to that in the show notes, describing what equipment we use and what software and what the process is. But today is about your experiences narrating audiobooks. All right. The other thing that fascinates me about audiobook narrators is the variety of voices and how easily they seem to slip in and out of one voice for all the characters. Talk a little bit about that. That really fascinates me. Uh, it's probably, for me at least, one of the most fun aspects of what we do is getting to play all the characters. I mean, we're actors, right? So getting to be everybody is, is really fun. The little secret 
I'm going to show you what is it, the ropes and pulleys behind the show, uh, is that when we're going back and forth with character voices, we can take all the time we want to find that next voice because it's going to get edited together so that it sounds, like you said, seamless, like we're sort of Sybil having conversations with our seven different selves. But I, I do find that in the beginning of a book, it will take me a while to settle into those character voices. Um, and early on, I was doing a, a, a book with three characters who had a lot of dialogue. It was two men and a woman. And about three quarters of the way through the book, I realized, wow, I am just seamlessly bouncing from one to the other to the other back and forth. And I wish I could go back and start at the beginning again, because I had, I struggled a little bit in the beginning, but we don't have time to go back. Um, So I came up with this sort of rationalization that those characters developed for me and became solid and um, entrenched, but that happened for the listener too. I think about this often. If I took a a sample of a character voice from the end of the book, any book, and compared it to a sample in the beginning of the book, there might be a little difference because you just get to know them better and you settle into it a little better. So it's just something I think about a lot. In fact, I, I keep samples of every character because you never know uh, if a sequel's going to come along. Oh, interesting. Oh. oh, yeah. So that's the worst nightmare is two years later. Oh, look, here's book two. And you have no idea what those characters sound like. And the last thing you want to do is go back and listen to your own audiobook. That's just nails on a chalkboard. Do you ever do that? Every now and then I make myself listen to one of my books just so I can hear what I'm doing. Make sure I'm not falling into patterns or bad habits or something. But strictly from an instructive standpoint, I, I will listen. And it, it sucks because you just want to go back and redo it. Yeah. Um, but when I'm taking samples to save, I will take one. I'll, I'll create a little sample when I first introduce that character. Also, so I remember them throughout the book, what they sound like. But I'll do it again at the end and take another sample and call that Bob number two. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So I can hear, I'd rather copy the end of the book voice rather than the beginning of the book voice in case it changes at all. I was thinking about you talking about getting the characters right if there's a sequel to the book and having the same feel for the character in the next book. You know, sometimes I notice that when they don't find the same narrator for the sequel of the book, and it's a little off-putting at first. It takes you a while to readjust. Yeah, it really does. It's like when they switch a character in a TV show, you know, when they switch Darren Stevens and Bewitched. We once went to see a production of Carmen, and during the first act, the tenor playing Don Jose must have gotten sick. Then the second act, it was some totally different person. He was like twice the size. Oh, no, it was this understudy. Oh. It was a little weird. If people want to hear you narrating an audiobook, what are some of the better known ones that you've done that they might want to look for? Okay. It's so funny. The minute anybody asks me that question, I freeze. I choke. I'm like, wait, what? I can't think of one. The best known books that I've narrated are the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. They're women's literature. They're incredibly thinky. They're very long. They're exquisite. They are, there's four of them, and they follow a friendship of two women 
in Italy from the 50s up until present day. Um, I do a lot of thrillers. The Unsub series by Meg Gardner comes to mind and Lisa Gardner, another author. I love her series of thrillers also. Um, and I just narrated the part of the January 6th report. So that was kind of exciting too. I love talking about what I do and I love how interested people are in our process because I think it's pretty interesting too. Yeah. Well, you know, most of our audience has either vision loss or some other print disability and they listen to a lot of audiobooks and some of them are really passionate about it. And you're not the first audiobook narrator we've interviewed. You're like maybe the third or fourth, but you know, people just love learning about the process, feeling like they're getting to know the narrators. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're a pretty friendly group. We love to chat with listeners. We love to chat with authors. We just, we love to chat with each other. Mm -hmm. um, we're all really supportive of each other for people in the acting profession. It's a really encouraging, encompassing, sharing community. It's a community is what it is. And I feel very fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you really do enjoy it. And that comes across in talking to you. Oh, thank you. I do. I love it. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about creating audiobooks and how to contact Hillary Huber. Hillary, if people want to learn more about you and find some of your work and connect with you, how would they do that? Well, for finding books, enter my name on Audible. Up they come. You have a website. Can you direct people to that? I have a website, which I'm not very great at updating. It's hillaryhuber.com, H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-H-U-B-E-R.com. Again, it's got just basic sample. I, I put up samples of some of my books, and I have one page that I try to update where I say what I've just finished recording, what I'm currently recording, what I'm recording next, and then I have a section on what I'm listening to so I can celebrate one of my colleagues. Do you have a social media presence? I do. Um, on Instagram, I am Hillary Out Loud, and I'm pretty active on Instagram. I announce new releases, and I try to share exciting news for my colleagues. And then there's a bunch of lifestyle stuff on that, too. So Hillary Out Loud on Instagram, and I'm hellacious on Twitter, H-I-L-L-A-T-I-O-U-S but I'm not that Twitter active. And if people wanted to reach you directly, how would they do that? There is a, um, a contact page on my website that will send me an email. So I also coach. I do coaching. And that's usually where people find me for that. I mean, I have no information about the coaching on the website. That's kind of word of mouth in the industry. But yeah, I coach newer audiobook narrators and make demos, direct and coach demos, produce demos for people. In case you missed any of that, it will all appear in the show notes with episode 2308, available at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Eschenbach's House Call Tele-Low Vision Program. 
Although low-tech assistive devices can't improve your vision, they can help you use the vision you do have to perform tasks more easily. Now you can work with a low-vision specialist remotely to find the device that's right for you. We'll talk with Timothy Gales, Director of Marketing for Eschenbach Optic of America, about their tele-low vision service. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.